This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. This is the Skate Podcast on WEEI.com. Bobby Orr, behind the net, the Sanderson, the Orr! Bobby Orr! Orr! For the first time in 39 years, the Boston Bruins have won the Stanley Cup. Talking Bruins and NHL. Sure, old-time hockey. Like it is sure. With writer and producer Brian DeFelice. Brian DeFelice is an emerging talent. Bridget Prue. Yeah, he's a little bit on the hot seat. Burn him! And WEEI.com Bruins writer Scott McLaughlin. Great Scott! Lace him up for some bees talk right now. I'm a damn dog! It's the Skate Pod on WEEI. Welcome into episode 160 of the Skate Podcast. I'm Brian DeFelice, joined by Bridget Prue and Scott McLaughlin. Today we're also joined by our favorite guest. Um, you can see him on Nesson during the Bruins broadcast. You can hear him on WEI. And uh, the second time on the podcast, Andrew Raycroft. Razor, thanks for joining us today. Of course. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Our pleasure. And before we get into questions, uh, we will just plug that Sunday Skate will be returning. Not this coming Sunday, not Super Bowl Sunday. That's still all football, but the following. No, Sunday. it's not. There's ho- There's a Hockey East broadcast right before the Super Bowl. That's you true. Watch that yes. I'm doing. Yeah, Bridget will be on the UMass Lowell game on Super Bowl Sunday. Um, but yeah, so Sunday skates coming back. It'll be me and Razor, uh, possibly Bridget involved as well. Still, you know, finalizing some things, but um, JP yeah, I'm excited about that. Still negotiating with the she's tough. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. It's, it's coming right down to the wire. It's you know we might get we might get the Bridget contract and the pasta contract in the same day. We'll see. <laughs> JP Barry's a busy man. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, yeah. Speaking of pasta, though, I was actually going to start there anyways. So, Razor, I'm curious uh, if you would agree with uh, me on some of the comments that we've been getting about what's going on with Pasternak's extension, where it seems like, you know, Elliot Friedman, Emily Kaplan, it's going to get done. Everyone seems to be on the same page there. But I find it odd that we're hearing about, you know, that the Bruins are being pushed uh, in into an area where they didn't want to get to, didn't expect to get to. Um, you know, Pasternak has kind of always said that, like, being the highest paid player isn't really important to him, which I still don't think, I don't think he'll be the highest paid player. I don't, you know, I heard you say on Jones and Mago, you know, you wouldn't go to 13 and neither would I. And I, and I don't think it's going to get there, but why are we, why are we hearing that, you know, the Bruins are getting pushed into an uncomfortable territory? Like, and does it, and doesn't matter. Like if, if they get the deal done, ultimately doesn't matter if, you know, maybe they were a little bit, unhappy with ultimately how it played out no it doesn't matter and and that's that's part of the business i think yeah at the end of the day in all of these deals that have always been signed in the nhl someone always feels like they've left money on the table uh, but you you just get to a point where you got to do it and you do it and, and you move on but um i think it's just more a matter of i listen the bruins had, you know, with Charlie McAvoy at nine and a half, I think they thought they could get it done around there, right? You know, or hoped or, you know, because again, David has said he's not worried about money. So David has come out and said he's not trying to be the highest paid player. I think that implies somewhat of a hometown discount. And, and I would, I would assume seven, eight, nine months ago, when you're looking at a cap, not going up, you're looking, all right, not a hometown discount, nine and a half, 10 million. Now, with the season that David's had and produced and you see some of these other deals getting done, then that number bumps up a little bit. But I I think that's the only reason why that 
that narrative is out there because I think the Bruins might have been just a little bit lower um, than than what people might have thought originally or what they thought originally. Yeah, and it, I also found it interesting. So you know, Emily Kaplan notes that it looks like it's going to be for more money than Boston's front office was originally budgeting. Um, do you see this having an effect going forward where maybe there's other things that they, they were planning to do, hoping to do, whether it's now before the deadline or during the offseason that, you know, if, if they're going, I don't know, a million or a million and a half a year above where they thought their max might be, does, you know, is that going to change maybe what they have to do or, or guys that they can't keep or something like that? It does, no question. It, that 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 is the reality of a hard salary cap in the National Hockey League. If you're giving one million extra to one guy, that's one million that no one else can get, and there's no way around it. There's no luxury cap. There's no way to claw that back with uh, uh, an extension or a renewal with somebody else. There's there's no way to get it back. So yeah, it definitely takes the that million bucks or two million bucks that comes right out of a guy like Connor Clifton or right out of a guy like Thomas Nosek or that's that's the reality and we were told that when the hard cap was put into place in 2006. Uh, I remember everyone beating the table saying when we do this this is what happens and this is what it looks like and and it's played out pretty much to to what we we were expected it to happen. Reza, do you think that somewhere in the 11 range is is the perfect balance between um, a team-friendly deal, and also Pashnak getting kind of what he what he deserves. I mean, you can make the argument, and I'm sure his his representation is that he should be or could be making top dollar. But given the nature of the Bruins' tradition, and and I think Pasta has like learned from the leaders in front of him that he doesn't want to do that, like you mentioned. But do you think 11 11 range is fair for everybody? Uh, I think that's best case scenario. For Bruins fans and Bruins, I, I would probably suggest that if you're in the David Pasternak household, you're saying, well, wait till these other guys sign and they start signing 13, 14, 15, and you're stuck eight years from now at 11 still producing top 10 goal numbers in the league, then, then maybe not. Um, you look at where... Sydney was and Taze was and Kane and Ovi and where these guys have signed their big deals and where they were in the league at that time, it was right at the top. So if you're at 11 and you're, you know, seven, eight guys deep just to begin the deal and you expect the cap to go up as much as you do, then, then maybe not. Um, but, but it seems as though, you know, I, I, you can't imagine a deal getting to a hundred million. And, and you've got to imagine that David feels okay not completely getting there. Yeah, and it seems like from what – so Rich Keefe, I think – have you been on his show recently or you were with him before at some point? But he had a source that was um, reporting that the Bruins and Pasternak were in agreement about like about an $11 million deal, and then the goalposts kind of moved after – it was agreed to or decided on that that was a fair price for him. Um, do you think that move like the reason why this is still going on as a discussion, even though the Bruins and Posnack both want to create a deal has to do with um, trying to squeeze out extra money or um, what do you think the reasoning is? I don't know. I, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, so I don't know. I have no idea. I have, I can't imagine that scenario. I can't imagine having a deal in place and then moving the goalpost at the last second um, that without any, without, and then hearing reports a month later that they're getting close. I, I would think that that a guy like Elliot or like whoever's inside or the agents or the camp of Pasternak would leak something a little bit more negative had they had a deal in place and then the goalpost got moved. I feel like that one, it just doesn't really go down like that usually. So, you know, they might've been getting close and someone jumped the gun on, on a source um, or what they thought was a good uh, scoop and they sent it out into the ether and it, it wasn't quite done. So that, and that's the, 
that's the biggest lesson for all of this is that it changes every day. These conversations, they do change every day. And until the, the ink's dry, it's, it's, it's not done. Razor, are you torn when it comes to the deadline uh, as far as what you think the Bruins should do? Because on the one hand, they're having a historic season, obviously. And, and there's the mindset of if it ain't broke, don't fix it, right? And I think there's a lot of validity to that. But then on the other hand, there's the desperation that the Bruins feel given you know the um, nature of where Bergeron is in his career and Krejci and some other unknowns. So you in the past have talked about if you can get a, a bona fide NHLer for a prospect or two and some picks and a combination of that and whatnot, um, you're all for it. And I, I'm kind of with you on that. So if if we're talking somebody like Chikrin, right, like, and let's say the only roster player going back to Arizona with somebody like Grizzlick and then a combination of picks and prospects, is that something you would entertain given how much of an impact player he is? Or do you not want to mess with the chemistry and you want to kind of focus on depth? Well, so that's a so that scenario. We'll just do that scenario. So yes, I, I am. If I've never, I've never been a draft pick guy, and I'm even more so of a non-draft pick guy. I think a 32nd overall pick is rolling the dice just as much as a 56th overall pick. It, 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 it you're, when you're dealing with the first round picks of the Boston Bruins next season or the season after they're not dropping to fifth overall where you're actually going to get an automatic impact player just not going to happen so yes I'm all for selling the first round picks I'm selling you know this year prospects go see you later we'll we'll deal with it later um now now the debate is is Grizzly more valuable Jacob Chikrin yes good player have we has he ever played a meaningful NHL hockey game ever in his career I don't know. Probably not. No, I don't think so. <laughs> uh, maybe, always... maybe like the the bubble year. I think they were in like the play in round. Yeah, but... They, but you started with the bubble year, so yes, yeah. no, he hasn't ever played a real game. And I, I think the the lesson that can be learned is what's going on in Vancouver with Edmund Larson. Uh, OEL, he was going to be the greatest player, and the Bruins were in on him, and all oh, they should have signed him to an eight year, sixty four million. What would that look like right now? And he had never played a real game before. He was a captain of a team that was bottom of the league all the time. So I I like the idea. I think there is a lot to Jacob's game, Chikrin's game. I think there is. I think a lot of people in hockey think he's really good. But I'm not sold on what he brings to the table for what the Bruins need him to do in the next month and a half. Yes, in the long run, he's, he's cost-reliable. He's a young defenseman. You can get him better. But does he come in and fit right in with the Boston Bruins for a month and a half in the playoff run? I'm not sure of that. And I'm definitely not taking the uh, opinion that it's automatic that he's better than Matt Grizzlick for this team this year. This yeah, year. And, you know, because I think one of the thing that, things that people look at, like, in that scenario is – they worry about Grizzly's size and, and him holding up. And we all know he, he has been banged up down the stretch in the playoffs and in, in the past. Uh, so Chikrin's six foot two. So you say, Oh, there you go. You, you upgraded your size. It's like, well, look at Jacob Chikrin's injury history. Like that's not a guy who's been able to stay healthy either. So, you know, and it's not like he's throwing a bunch of hits. Like he doesn't, he's a much more of an offensive player. Like he's not really using that size. So, um, Razor, is there is there anyone you you have your eye on that you think you would go big for that uh, you know might be worth it? I'm honestly not leaning that big. I, I'm really not. I think I, I think it's all about getting the right pieces for this and, and really being that depth forward. That that you need a middle six guy on forward you need uh another guy who's willing to and the, the key is too you got to have guys that are willing to fit in with this and, and are willing to be a seventh defense and a lot of guys aren't that are really good the thomas shabbats of the world weren't going to florida and to be a seventh guy and and where the bruins are at right now that's kind of what you're looking at you know like you, you really can't mess with it too much or if you are you better be sure and that's that again that's what's keeping dawn up at night is do i 
do I need to do more? Do I move the chemistry of this team or am I just trying to add extra little pieces at the end? So I don't, I really don't have my eye on anyone. I, they're going to make some kind of deals just because they, they have to, but I, I don't see a bull Horvat Islander thing. I don't see a Taylor Hall. I don't see a Hampus Lindholm kite type deal falling in the Bruins laps in the next four weeks. Yeah. So, and to the Horvat thing, he had been a guy that we had spent some time talking about on the podcast and whether or not it would have been worth it for the Bruins to give up what they needed to for Horvat. And we came to the conclusion that say, if they wanted Carlo, um, you're giving up one of your defensemen who's reliable on the penalty kill and that, you know, fits in um, and you're you're getting worse in one position to get better at center and kind of more of a long-term move. Would you have given up, say, Carlo and um, a comparable a comparable um, package to what the Islanders gave for Horvat? No, just because, like you said, that would be a then, – then you're punting on this season if you're doing that. You're basically looking, okay, we're going we're gonna to give up this season for the future. Um, they don't need help at center right now. They they will. They probably will at some point. Although we've been saying for a long time they need help at center, and uh, they still don't. Uh, but they do. They will. And I think you you don't. You're just not worried about that right now. You're just not looking at that. You're looking at okay scenarios in which when you lose DeBrusque, Nosek, and Frederick over a three game period, who's coming in and and helping? Because I don't think it's it's what we've seen from the miners so far. So, okay. What, do, how do those guys piece in? It, it's funny. I, uh, when talking about this Bruins team at the deadline, that scene from miracle pops into my mind when they're all outside the, uh, the, the, the coach bus and, and Herb's like, you know, why shouldn't I give this guy a hell of a look? And then Johnson's like, because we're a family. I feel like, <laughs> I feel like that's what we're talking about with this Bruins team. Like you don't want to get rid of like a Grizzly or a Carlo, because I, I do think these guys it's, it's, it can't be, you know, um, overstated enough, like a big part of a championship team is wanting to, you know, block that shot for the guy next to you and, and win for those guys. And I'm not saying somebody like Chikrin want to come in and, you know, fit in with people. And I think when people talk about Chikrin, it's like they envision, and I thought of this myself, like you envision a blue line going forward of Lindholm, McAvoy and, and Chikrin, and, and maybe that can help ease the transition at center because you have such a strong blue line. But it really is a tough, situation that Sweeney's in going into this deadline and again they're at a historic pace so you don't want to mess with it too much and it'll be interesting to follow follow the next month for sure it's going to be it's going to be what I mean absolutely going into the deadline and 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 just as importantly what the Bruins do what everyone else does do do the other teams get better do do does Carolina pick up another Max Domi Max Domi is the one who beat the Bruins out in game seven so do the like that's the kind of guy the Bruins are gonna find is that is that player that guy who scores a goal in game seven in one of the first three or four series one of the three series I mean to get to the finals uh that puts you over the top that's that's the that's that's my vision uh, what they're gonna do at the deadline i don't know who that is i don't know who the max domi is i don't i'm not sure anyone really does except for the guys that are that are going to the games and watching and who knows who can fit in with this bruins team because to your point it, it's they they do more homework on what's going on off the ice with these guys and what they're they're going all the way like you need to have a good family in place to become uh, anointed a Boston Bruin at this point. Mitchell so Miller. The the culture goes that far, and it, it's uh, it's one of those things where you're you're bringing these guys in for what's happening in the playoffs, and it's it's important. Mitchell Miller wasn't going to come play in the Boston Bruins this season. No, but when you bring up family and background, that that's just an obvious like Mitchell Miller. Um, one one more question about trade deadline stuff, just because I saw this today. And this is a bigger name. And for some reason, the Bruins are among the top three, you know, percentage teams that the betting odds have for landing Patrick Kane, um, which, you know, kind of kind of a name. We're not even sure he's going to want to um, wave his claws. He hasn't said whether or not he's going to. Uh, number one odds still to stay in Chicago, but then it's the Rangers and the Bruins listed right behind them as um, his top two potential choices um, to go to for, you know, maybe a move at the deadline. Well, and I 
when you look at those and you look at the odds, they're Patrick Kane's not is it has all all the cards. He holds all the cards. He's got a no trade. He's got a no move. So he gets to pick where he wants to go. So that's where you you basically deduce he's only going to pick two or three teams. If he wants to win a Stanley Cup, the Bruins are by far. And if they haven't, if they're not the highest at this point in a season in any NHL year, then they're really close to being the highest odds or the highest chance team to win a Stanley Cup at this point. And whether it's 25, 30%, it's, it's nuts because of what the record is at this point. So if you're, if you're the guy trying to handicap and pick who's going to win the Cup, if you're a player in the league, you're saying, okay, get me to Boston. Um, now, is that possible? I don't know. I don't know the inner workings of that, but I think those odds and, and when those names come up, you're thinking of guys like Taylor Hall basically forced his way into Boston because that's the only place he wanted to go. And Patrick Kane has that same ability at this point. Yeah. I also have a theory on like anytime something like this comes up with betting odds, I think boss, even though we just got legalized sports betting, I think Boston people must throw Are a lot of money down full on generous. Yeah. Yeah. Boston is always near the top. Like every free agent in the NFL or every trade candidate, the <laughs> Patriots are one of the favorites. Like even in the post Tom Brady era, it's, it's amazing. Yeah. It's a sports talk animal that we all li- yeah. live in and deal with all the time that, yeah, I think that again, it's, it is, I, I listen, Patrick Kane, if he's willing, if he's a middle round, middle six guy, like if he's that guy who can move up and down the wing, he can play some, like he does fit the Max Domi guy. Like he's the ultra, Max Domi player. I don't know how it worked, but that that is that is an opportunity and it's a rental and it's you don't have to worry about the future. Like it does it does make sense more than than a guy that you're trying to like uh, from a rental point of view. It it makes sense because he can do you can put him anywhere. And as long as he doesn't want to play the power play or is happy to go on the second unit, then it works real well. Yeah, I think one of the biggest things with Kane is whoever is going to get him has to be sure of the of the medicals because he's been pretty banged up all year. And I saw, I think it was Arthur Staple in the Athletics said it's kind of like a um, not so secret secret that he needs hip surgery and is you know just trying to get through the year and grind it out. So um, that's obviously going to you know teams are going to have to know what they're getting on that front. Um, Razor, when you were on Jones and Mago on. Yeah. Yeah. I know. Yeah. Miracle. Um, eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. When you were on Jones and Mago on Tuesday, uh, you're talking about the specifically the goalie hug, but the Elmark Swayman relationship. And, you know, you, you were saying that like it's it's a little odd to see two goalies who seemingly by all appearances are get along so well, are such good friends, like aren't don't really seem to have that jealousy or competitive um, spirit where like they they're dying to beat out the other guy that it's held up this long for them. Do you see that holding up like into the playoffs? You know, it, cause it's probably pretty easy now when uh, you know, they're basically splitting starts and the team's rolling and they're both winning, but at some point they're, you know, they probably go to, a default number one starter for the playoffs. Yeah, well, they split last year in the playoffs. No, I, I it will last. These guys are are really close. Their their relationship, and that's kind of what I was, you know, playing at is is it, it is odd and rare that these guys are getting they do get along that well. And 
they're they're legit it's it's very genuine i've seen them together they interact off you know away from the cameras the same way if not more closely so it's not an act and they're gonna have both guys i would imagine at certain times in the playoffs i think it's just kind of the nature of the beast colorado won with three guys last season so unless you're tampa bay and you're going to have to use both guys you're going to want need them at some point throughout a long long playoff run and um i think that i think we saw what happened last year with our coming in for two games and then swayman there was there was nothing that those two felt about each other so it, it is and it, it, it's a different relationship than most and but it's certainly genuine and and what uh we would all call long lasting whatever that is in hockey yeah, it seems authentic from like when you're up close to it and you get to see how they interact. And I feel like Jeremy Swayman would like he I feel like he doesn't have the capability of lying or pretend like he's just always just such a, in such a good mood and just so happy and just authentic. But um, for that reason, it's the personalities, I think, that more so than the competition of the job. That's why they are able to get along the way that it actually looks. It's not just an act, I don't think. Um, but do you think that, I mean, I heard you say this on uh, Jones and Mego, when you were playing, you you did have kind of more of a rivalry between goalies. Does that push you guys to be better? Or do you think that, you know, this kind of a relationship could be m- more useful for a team that's making a long playoff run with, where guys want to work together and, and, you know, it's not like a, we're getting better because you're pushing me. It's like, we're we both want this team to succeed and be no matter what, who's in that. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, it's individual for everybody. I think there's lots of guys, lots of old guys that I played with that thrived on being a dick and, and, you know, being competitive and, and, you know, trying to kill the, the other guy. I think that was more of a mentality back then. Guys were a lot meaner when I played guys were a lot on more unhappy. Uh, there was no puck passing in warmups. There was no playing paper scissors for pucks since uh, watching this like you weren't allowed to do that it, it was it was a different generation and the guys were old and it, you didn't do that stuff and, and now you do and now it's cool and now it's fun and now it's entertaining so um i i think it also goes to what's going on in the bruins room and when we talk about bringing people in i think it does go all the way to the goaltending in that we respect each other we really enjoy each other, but we're going to try and kill each other on the ice and practice. And we're going to make each other better. And we're going to compete. And, and they, they have naturally selected guys who can handle that. And not everybody can, but, but I think both goaltenders and why Jeremy Swayman was able to jump into the role as quickly as he was or has did was because of that mentality that, that he, he performs with and, and his professional ability to compete and want to win all the time, but also doing it in a way. What goalie did you have kind of a little bit of a rivalry with that you played with? Oh, I mean, all the old, like Jeff Hackett was the worst. He didn't talk to anybody. Um, I mean, he fought him and Ed Belfort went at each other all the time. Je- yeah. So, I mean, I had Jeff Hackett for like a week and a half. He never even said anything to me. I don't think, um, that's just where it starts. I mean, a lot of it was a lot of it was you had a decent relationship. Like you weren't really, you know, wanting a guy to break, you know, like really lose. Like that it wasn't that bad, but you certainly wanted the net. And and probably I, I was never excited to give a guy a hug after he got a five nothing shutout, knowing I wasn't gonna play again for another week, I guess. That's that's the big one. Razor, I had, I had one more goaltending question because uh you, if you ask all Marcus Swayman about goalie Bob, Bob Asenza, they, they light up. They, they love the guy. He's, they both say he's been huge for their career. You were one of the first goalies to work with him with the Bruins. Uh, I think he just started, uh, you know, when you, when you were getting there. Um, what was he like then? And what do you think has allowed him to be such a good goalie coach, such a respected goalie coach over so many years now and so many different coaching staffs? Well, first off, he's just a, a great person. Uh, you talk about genuine and authentic and caring, and that's that's it starts with that. He has a great demeanor, never high, never low, never would get mad at somebody. So he's he's endearing to everybody, and, and there's a lot 
to longevity in this in this sport in this business to being likable um, by all kinds of different coaches that he's gone through and different general managers and Cam Neely coming in like he's been around a lot because he's really well liked and then when you go to his ability to get the not to get the best out that's it's it's his ability to understand what makes you a little bit better as an individual goaltender and, and, and his ability to have taken a big load off of Tuka Rask and, and being able to keep him from being injured and taking pressure off hips and having ideas on on how to play the game but not forcing it down someone's throat like this is my way or the highway but it, it, it you see with Allmark and with Swayman, their game's been adjusted over the last couple of years and they're drifting and they have a little bit of momentum all the time and it keeps them from pressure on their hips and it keeps them from stretching and, and getting put in different positions. So once it starts to work, you have belief in it on top of the belief you already have that the guy cares about you. And, and coaching's all about whether it's guy yelling at you every day or a guy patting you on the back every day, it's all, as long as it's coming from a caring point of view, or, uh, what you feel is care, then you're going to get the most out of the players. Razor, you've given us a, a lot of your time. We appreciate it. One last thing before you go, I was going to ask you off the top, um, uh, if you've been enjoying your time off with the Bruins having some time off, but then of course you flip on the television and there you are broadcasting for the bean pot. Um, what was your take on, on, Monday night's games and the championship game. I mean, can you believe the first time in 70 years we've had a final without BC or BU? That's that's really hard to believe. I don't know what to make of that. That is nuts. And what was the parlay seven years ago on putting money that would take that long for that to happen? You, you'd be uh, I'd be like buying Apple stock. Um, it's uh, it was good hockey. It was really good hockey. I, the first game was really good, really fast. By the end of it, obviously, with the overtime and the comeback, there was a ton of energy in the building. It was prime time for everyone to be there. I thought Harvard was the better team, but I, I was impressed with the push that BC made at the end to get back into it. Um, and then you go, the, the next game, Northeastern played a perfect game. I, I love BU. I, I think BU has an unbelievable mix to go a long way in the, in the tournament. I think that's why they're the top five team. I, I had them pegged a, a month or two ago about just because of the coaching they have. I love Pando. I love Kim. Uh, and, and the mix they have. I think they're really good and, and ready for a long run. So I had them Monday night, no problem. But Northeastern played what we've seen Northeastern play and, and that's a hard defensive, perfect structured game. And, and Devin Levi makes a couple saves. So they're going to be tough to beat if they can keep that structure in the way they played since January. Um, they're a tough, they're a tough beat for Harvard. I, I think Harvard's very talented and they're good. I just think that hockey East competition on a weekly basis sharpens them a little bit more for tournaments and, and scenarios like this. Yeah, it'll be. It'll yeah, be I don't. I don't like the stat about uh, my BU Terriers that no Beanpot team has ever won the national championship without first winning the Beanpot. So, ho- hoping uh, maybe they find a way to uh, break that that streak that has existed for a long time. Well, Harvard and now you got Harvard and Northeastern in the finals, so you can rest your laurels on that. That it, it was seventy years of change. Uh, that you're all yeah. set with the the BU taking a run. Yeah, history's taking a backseat this year, Scott. Don't yeah, worry about absolutely. It. COVID blew history into <laughs> yeah. the atmosphere. Well, N- Northeastern winning three in a row just killed like every beanpot narrative because you know it was exactly. always like Northeastern never wins. Of course. Hey, and... the other thing is now you're doing shootouts and three on three. It's it's a different yeah. beanpot. You're not allowed to. It's it's a different history. Yeah, by the way, that three-on-three, three, I almost felt like BC deserved to lose because they're doing the thing that Scott hates and Brian and I, we've all talked about it before, where they just slow it down and wait for the shootout. Like, they don't even – like, how many times did they circle back into the neutral zone, waste more time, waste more time? I'm sitting there like, what are they doing? And then they wasted too much time on themselves, uh, but not that extra second they needed. <laughs> and, yep. and it almost felt like you kind of deserved it. Yeah, ill-prepared. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think it, it was – that was their eighth overtime game of the season. And I think six of the first seven got to the shootout because that they do exactly that. They just basically run the clock down. Which is totally against the spirit time. of the three on three 
it, it that's why it bothers me. It's just like kind of useless. Yeah. You're, you might as well just hit fast forward to the shootout, but I kind of thought they deserved it. Yep, they did. They got it. <laughs> well, like I said, Razor, we really appreciate you taking the time. Yeah. Um, it's you know, it's your your time off during a very busy hockey season. So again, obviously, you can catch Razor on Nesson for the Bruins broadcast and obviously the Beanpot. Um, periodically on WEI, including Sunday Skate, and of course. When you're not listening to the Skate Podcast, um, you and Billy Jaffe do an awesome job on Morning Brew, so listen to them as well. So thank you so much for joining us, Razor. We appreciate it. No, my pleasure. Thank you. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, welcome back to the Skate Podcast. Once again, thanks to Andrew Raycroft for joining us. So, Bridget and Scott, we went over a lot of good things there, namely um, hot topics Bruins fans would like to talk about would be the Pasternak contract situation and, and the latest uh, update on that. And, of course, the, just the trade deadline philosophy, and it's it's, it's quickly approaching. So when we're talking about Chikrin uh, and, and asking Razor if he would feel like he wants to kind of be more conservative and you know don't ruin a good thing with this team and just kind of complement it with depth, versus kind of shaking things up with, you know, a roster player going the other way somewhere. It just, Scott, you just mentioned it. Like, do you, you don't feel too comfortable with that as, as we start to really kind of um, discuss it? Well, it's interesting because the, so the reported asking price for Chikorin, and I should have looked this up. I don't know if this was in the athletic or maybe daily face off from Frank Sarah Valley has for a while. It sounds like it's been two first round picks on a prospect and, we know, you know, packages can always change. And if anyone was going to throw that at them, presumably it would have already happened. So, you know, we'll see what it actually ends up being. But my, my thinking was like, yeah, I have no problem with that. Like picks prospects. Sure. But obviously if you're the Bruins, like there does have to be a financial element of this as well, um, because they can't, even though Jacob Chikrin is on a very team friendly deal, he has a cap hit of only 46 4.6 million uh, Bruins would still need help to get that in. So whether that involves retained salary or sending out a roster player and, you know, I think it's easy to think like, well, you know, dump some of the contracts towards the bottom of the roster, whether it's Craig Smith, Mike Riley, um, you know, whatever, like move one of those free up some money, but then it's like, well, okay. What if, you know, Arizona's not really like willing to take on bad contracts. What if they want an actual player? And that's where you get into like your Grizzly or Carlo. And that's when like I started to think like, I really like Jacob Chikrin. I really like that contract. The idea of having McAvoy, Lindholm, and Chikrin for years to come is, you know, pretty like exciting to think about. But to Razor's points, like if it involves moving a Grizzly or Carlo, guys, you already know fit here you know are you still doing it and i guess for me like it probably wouldn't be a deal breaker because i do think chikrin's an upgrade over over either of those guys um but if it had to be like like if it ended up being you know one of grizzly or carlo plus a first round pick plus you know a lysel or laura like now that's too much for me like now i'm not like forget it because raises right like there is while I think Chickren would be an upgrade over those guys, like there is no guarantee he's been playing in a bad defensive system. So you do have to get him up to speed on what you're doing and get him playing the right way. Um, and like Grazer said, like he hasn't played big games in the, in the NHL. Like I pointed out, he has also had injury history. So, you know, I kind of got kind of started doubting my conviction on Chickren a little bit. Well, yeah, the risk is something you have to take into consideration and, and all those things are pretty serious risks for a team that is the odds on favor to win a Stanley Cup. It's one thing if you're like at the bottom of the playoff structure, you're like wild card, you're you really know you're missing that extra piece to to win. Whereas, you know, you don't want to be the team at the top that's like, okay, this could be our move and this could help us long term, but you 
accidentally shoot yourself in the foot and make a move that doesn't necessarily help you get over the hump or, or make your team that much better um, in terms of the risk. Like you said, Grizzly has injury history. Chikrin has injury history. Um, and you just almost feel like when you have a team that's been the best team in the NHL so long, he like, don't, you know, if, if it's not broke, don't fix it, especially by getting rid of somebody in your decor that you have relied on most of the season fits in um, and like not messing with the room uh, as well. So, so it's, it's interesting. Cause you guys raise great points. And I, I personally just feel like the injury history kind of washes out. I mean, it's it's not like Carlo and Grizzik are Ironman necessarily. So as and neither is Chikrin. So I'm just gonna kind of put that off to the back burner for a little bit. Um, there's a couple of things like, and I don't want to rock the boat either. But man, I, Chikrin, I I I I would probably do it for, and I and I'm I think I was kind of impartial when Razor was on what 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 way I was leaning. But like when I think of Chikrin, Lindholm, and McAvoy, I, the first thing that comes to mind is Hedman, McDonough, and Sergachev, like in Tampa. Like it's just it's so overwhelming for opponents. And going forward, like I mentioned, like who knows what the centerized position is for the Bruins? It, it might. We know they locked up Zaka, okay, so for four years, so he's he'll he'll be an adequate number two center. But I just think like if the Bruins regress a little bit at center going forward after whenever Bergeron leaves. To have those that three headed monster on the on the blue line will really help um, absolve some of those tra- some of that transition, and also and the last thing I'll say is like any chance you have to to really add a, a significant player, I think you have to really think about it. And I just don't want Chickering to go to Toronto or Carolina, like it, 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 that's not, that's another part of it too. Like if he doesn't go to Boston, I know people are saying the Kings, but could he end up in Toronto and help them get over the, the hump? So. I don't know, man. It's it's not an e- easy decision for Sweeney. I see both sides of the fence. I really do. Um, but I would really have to consider it if, uh, you know, I'm with if it's Grizzlick, I'm I'm more inclined. Carlo is a different role than Grizzlick, and I kind of want him for this playoff run. So it just depends. But uh, first round pick this year, Lorai. I've said it before. Lorai is 22. Chickens 24. <laughs> like, all right, not a big deal. So, um. Yeah, I'm, I'm like I said, it's going to be interesting to follow for sure. So I don't know if you guys have any closing thoughts on that discussion. Yeah, well, one other thing, like I was just thinking of too, is like when we talk about the pursuit of you know number one center, you know, if you trade for Chikrin now, like that could even be a piece that helps you get your number one center. Like Chikrin has no trade protection at all. So if you bring him in, and then uh, all right, we need to get a number one center this summer or next season or, you know, two summers from now or whatever, like Chikrin could be a piece that helps you get it. You know, obviously that's, that's not the main reason you're trading for him. Now you're trading for him now to help you win this year because you think he's going to be a meaningful upgrade. But like that just entered my mind as, you know, he would probably be more valuable than any other piece you have, like including a Lysel or a Lori. So, um, that would like also be an option that would kind of give you another way to potentially acquire a top center in like a legitimate hockey trade. That's a good point. Bridget for, for you. Um, that's a very good point. Actually, Scott, I had never thought of that. Um, when it, as it pertains to somebody coming into the Bruins culture and, and, and Scott and Razor talked about, um, you know, never, not really playing in big games or meaningful games in a, in a quiet market. Um, have you ever seen a player join the Bruins and not, see that culture help elevate their game and, and, and bring them structure while they're here. Like, have you ever seen a player, um, I guess, crumble with, with that task? Or have you always seen that culture help these players? It Well, it can't possibly hurt compared to where he's coming from. Uh, you know, in, in at, like when you think back to the players that you're kind of referencing, like um, McAvoy comes in with Chara around. Like, you know, there there is older guys that were able to kind of assimilate the younger guys into the culture. Now McAvoy is maybe one of the guys that helps teach the next ones, the younger ones, even though he's not old in and of um, you know, in any way um himself. But it's kind of funny when you when you do talk about having a guy come in that, you know, hasn't played in any meaningful games, quote unquote, it feels like a like a red flag, but like, do you need to look at it as a red flag? It's like it's kind of one that 
you're like, okay, that that's true. That's a good point. We're not, we're uncertain, but at the same time, I don't see that as a major issue because if you think about it, guys come out of college and can play well right away um, in systems when they've never had to play, uh, you know, NHL games before, and they're able to, to get into things um, right off the bat. So I think that that argument is probably a lesser argument um, than really what it's going to take to get him here. Um, so I'm at first when he said that, I was like, oh, that's true. But now that I think of it, it's like it's it's a lesser risk um, than really the, the risk that we're talking about, which is accidentally effing with the chemistry and, you know, taking the wrong guy out of the equation on the back end to, to and- trade for him. And Scott, does that pressure you speak of not, not having been there, does that lessen when you're not the guy and you're on the blue line with McAvoy and Lindholm and others and it's you're not the main number one guy back there? Yeah, for sure. It obviously does. Um, and, and, you know, I think I agree with you, Bridget. Like, it, to me, it wouldn't be as big of a concern that he hasn't played in those games versus just you're you're going to have to teach him on the fly because, to me, it's like the system change or – just the team change would be the bigger thing. And, you know, there's nothing you can do about that. Like if you're getting a player, if you're trading for a player right now, chances are they're coming from a bad team. And, you know, not everyone has played big games in the past, but uh, Chikrin has been on for the last couple of years, like an especially bad team that really has, doesn't have structure. Can I, can I make a comparison here? It's not a defenseman, but Allmark was on a horrible team in Buffalo and he came over and has played so much better. Um, and for coaching reasons, for just the fact that he's not playing behind guys that are, you know, the, the, the morale is better, you name it. Um, there's definitely a way to transition from a team that's not very good to a team that you want to help win a Stanley cup with. I mean, the motivation is automatically there. Yeah. And, you know, like, and like Hambus Lindholm had obviously been on good teams in the past. He was on two Ducks teams that went to the Western Conference Finals. But the couple years before he got traded to Boston, he was on really bad teams that couldn't play defense. And it's like, you know, a little different because, like, at least he had been on good teams before and knew what it was like. But, I mean, it took him no time at all to start to just play really well on a better team and fit in. And, you know, that's like, I also, when I wrote up the, the chicken rumor today um, or the latest report, which was from Pierre Lebrun saying that, you know, the Bruins are one of the teams that have uh, inquired about him. Um, you know, chicken's ana- like analytics as advanced stats are good, but like they won't blow you away, but it's, it was the same thing with Hampus Lindholm his last couple of years in Anaheim. Like I remember when the Bruins got in there, people were like, Oh, well, his games declined, you know, is he going to be able to get it back? And it's like, well, everyone knows I love analytics as much as anyone. Huge nerd. Um, as much as those stats try to account for uh, like quality of team and kind of wash that out and try to look at everyone on as equal of a playing field as possible, there's still a difference. Like you can still have a guy quite easily go from a bad team to a good team and their analytics are going to get a hell of a lot better. And it's, it's part of it might be that they're playing better, but like, that's not the only reason it's just being in a better situation, playing with better players is just naturally going to lead itself to better play and better results. Yeah. And it's, it's one of those things where it's like, it's fun to think about because you, when you're imagining the pieces that they would have, on the back end, how young they are, how talented they are, um, how their trajectory is, you know, still going up, you know, they're still in that part of the year where they can get better and better. Uh, (laughs) Brian, (laughs) sorry, Brian's got like a fire alarm going on in the background or something. All right. Um, I think I, he actually is a fire alarm. Bar- I think he is. Gone. <laughs> He's gone. Run, Brian. Um, no, well, he left his camera going, so we'll we'll be able all right. To see. Who whose hot take was too hot? <laughs> it was on fire. Oh, he got it to turn off. All right. 
Um, uh, but moving on to, because we talked about chicken for a while, we, this doesn't have to be a, a, like a long touching on this, but because we brought up Patrick Kane, um, I, I was, it's kind of interesting. Razor's reaction was as positive as it was for Patrick Kane. Um, whereas he, you know, could see that that being a decent fit. And it is one of those situations like Taylor Hall, where the guy gets to pick where he goes and that kind of makes it so. <laughs> Why is it always something? <laughs> Why is it always something with me? I'm, I'm, I'm minding my own P's and Q's. I think somebody left the popcorn in too long. It sounds familiar to me, but Jesus No, nah, I guess people are doing work upstairs, and they were just testing it. I don't know. It's like, did they not know I'm doing a goddamn podcast? Yeah, come on. Oh, okay, here's what I was saying. It, it is kind of like a situation where he gets to pick what team he goes to. He obviously, who wouldn't want to come to – a team that's, you know, odds on favorite to, to win a cup or, um, you know, you're going to pick a team that you think you have the best chance with, but um, the Bruins wouldn't have to give up as much. We're talking about, you know, not having to give away probably a defenseman, not having to give away that kind of stuff for a guy like Patrick Kane, but we're also in the territory of rental and we're once again, like he's an additional piece that you could add that would help, but does he feel like he would be just a little bit extra? Like, do you, do you think he would be almost not necessary in terms of adding him? Like he would help, but that it's not a hundred percent going to fill a role that they might need. Yeah. I'm not super into the idea of bringing in Patrick Kane. Now, if Patrick Kane says, Hey, I think the Bruins are going to win the cup and I want to go to the Bruins and you know, that's like the only team he's going to waive his no trade clause for. I mean, it, it's really difficult to like not consider that and to be involved then. Um, but if there's any sort of bidding war, I would probably just mostly be out. I, I think his play has fallen off really dramatically this season, especially. Um, they're like, he just straight up, he, I mean, not that he's ever been very good defensively, but he just like straight up does not play defense anymore. And I don't know if you can turn that on, you know, just getting to a new team. Um, you would want him to be a top scorer, obviously, but he hasn't even been that this year. He only has nine goals. As I mentioned with Razor, he's been crazy. Yeah. He's been, he's been battling injury. He's pretty banged up. Um, I think it was, uh, I'm trying to remember. I said, this might've been from Pierre Lebrun as well, but it was someone who said he had talked to some players who faced Patrick Kane recently. And like one of them was just straight up, like that's not Patrick Kane anymore, or he's not playing like Patrick Kane. And like that kind of stuff just really worries me. The, what I mentioned where it's like an open secret that he needs hip surgery. Uh, I would just be worried about like what you're actually getting with him and whether he's going to hold up for a deep playoff run. Um And like how desperate you are with your own injuries, like as of right now, they're not, but like if you hit a situation where you are desperate in, you know, for a winger or like you're you're desperate to find a guy to fill in for, um, whatever injury you might be dealing with, you're probably more likely to look into it, but. Yeah. And like, that's, that's going to be your one big move if you make it, because there's going to, you know, you're going to have to find a way to fit the salary. There's going to be salary retention and all that. You probably have to move out of con at least one contract. So to do all that for a guy that like, I'm just not totally sold on and don't know if he's going to hold up. Um, I, I wouldn't. So uh, I would try to find something that's a little bit more of a sure bet. Honestly, like if we're talking about the Blackhawks guys, I would prefer Taves at this point. Uh, I know, you know, a little less of a positional need, but maybe, you know, coil bumps over to the wing or even down to the fourth line. And now like, I mean, if you have Taves as a third line center and coil on the fourth, like you're just about as good of a one, one through four down the middle as like you'll ever see. So I would actually be more interested in Taves. Who's all all around game. I think, you know, again, while it's not what it was in his prime is I think still in a better spot. Um, And he at least seems to be healthy. So that would interest me a little bit more. 
And we would love to get Brian's opinion on this, but his fire alarm is still going off. Well, it's it's not actually going off. It's but I'm on borrowed time because they're doing some work upstairs. Because long story short, there was like a because well, that winter storm, there was like a, a little small pipers, and so the, the fire alarm's working on something. I don't I don't know, but regardless, um, I'll make it quick. I, I echo what you're saying, Scott. Uh, I, I would like Taves Kane. It's it's a matter of price for me. Um, I can't speak to the hip surgery possibility, but if it's not injury related, I could see him getting a, you know, I don't think he's playing a lot of inspired hockey in Chicago. They've been going going through lately. So that's, that would be a difference. Um, but yeah, I guess we'll, we'll see. It, it would be on, it would be depend, depend on the cost. Um, as it pertains to passion that guys, um, like do the Bruins have a, a foot to stand on with that? They're like, what the hell man? Like when it comes to passing, it's like, guys, he's the top goal scorer in the world. One of, and like, you think like you can just get guys to take like significant discounts just because you are who you are. Like it's a business. So I, I don't know who the Bruins are, think they are to just be offended by a guy trying to get relatively what he's worth. Well, and that's why I do think that at some point they changed their price when it was like finally coming close to a deal or like almost agreed upon because um, that would be a reason why the Bruins would be surprised. Like, Hey, this was the original price you asked for. We agreed to it. Now we're a little bit surprised that you're asking for more. You're adding on to what you what you wanted. Um, but I also do think that probably early, like in the off season um, when they were first coming up with numbers, they did have a low ball number um, to try to keep it right around that McAvoy number. Um, but yeah, obviously but that is under. Think- I don't even think that's really like a low ball. I just think it was more of a starting. Like if they went to him in the off season and offered eight years, nine and a half million, like same exact contract as McAvoy. I, I feel like that that's a decent starting point like to me that like, that's not, we're not talking about like, you know, Red Sox offering Xander Bogarts, like a, you know, one year, $25 million extension or something. Like, you know, I think that's at least like a reasonable starting point. And it, probably wasn't going to be enough, but you can at least work from there. Um, you know, I feel like in a way, like both teams kind of took a risk by not getting it done before the season. You know, Pasenak thought, Hey, I can have a better season than last year and, you know, get more money. And the Bruins thought, well, you know, we'll stay where our offer is for now. And, you know, we think he'll end up agreeing to that. And, uh, Pasenak won that bet. He's having an incredible season. He's an MVP candidate and the price has obviously gone up. So, um, you know, I guess now we see like, does the final price end up being right around that 11 million, which would make him one of the top players in the league? Or are we talking like approaching McKinnon McDavid, you know, 12, 12 and a half territory. So, um, you know, it sounds like we're probably going to find out possibly soon. It seems like definitely in season before the end of the year. So um, we'll see where it comes in. But yeah, obviously, Pasenak bet on himself by not taking the first offer and not just re-signing before the year. And he has clearly won that bet. Yeah, and won that bet with the help of an agent who probably has been leading him along this whole time. Like, Hey, you know, just saying you can probably make more. We could probably get a little bit more here or there. Um, but if he, if he, which is what we've said right along, if he's not signed by the off season, that like, that is the worst case scenario that, that basically for fans, like to me, that's a sign that it, if it was going to get done, it would already have gotten done based on reporting that it was so close. Like what would it have taken all the way to the off season? Um, so hopefully it is finished soon. Then we don't have to keep coming on here and talking about it. Couple laundry list items. Speaking of Pasternak, he was at the, um, well, they called it the NHL all-star competition. It was more like Disney on ice. Um, do you think that weekend is a little bit just too far be- beyond repair? Obviously they're trying to, uh, attract a very small young demographic like ages like zero to three um <laughs> so you know think that's something that uh is kind of just beyond repair at this point yeah i mean that's how i felt even before it and i watched about a half hour of the skills competition 
and that was it. I didn't watch any of the game. I just didn't care. So, um, you know, I, I the half hour that I did watch, I happened to be watching when Pasenak did his Happy Gilmore thing, and I'm like, I'm just not the audience for this. Like, I don't know. Maybe I'm just too old now, but like, I see it, like going viral and, and like, yeah, you know, it's more for little big, bits on like, TikTok. Like, they're all trying to make a big deal of on the broadcast. I'm just like, this is like. This is cosplay. Like this is this isn't hockey skills. Cosplay. This is cosplay. Yeah, it is more of like um a performance <laughs> than anything else. I I used to love watching the All-Star game and skills competition and stuff back when I was in like high school. But it was five on five back then. Uh go back to five on five. I could give a crap about the guys playing three on three. Um it, it's one thing when they started it to like when they changed the rule and then they're like, okay, yeah, you know, it's interesting. Let's see what these guys look like. The like fastest guys in the league going three on three. I, I could give a crap uh, anymore about that. Go five on five. If you're going to do an all-star game the right way or the closest thing you can do the right way. Um, five on five. Let's, let's cut it out. Well, like, there was one year they did a draft instead of like East versus West where they like, had a whole group of all-stars and they had to, they had two captains that were drafting off of each one. And I remember Matthew Shane, like there was a video of Matthew Shane going, he was like the last guy to get picked. And he was just sitting there like, I feel like I got voted off the Island. He was the only one sitting in the chair. It's like, they've tried all these different offshoots. And <laughs> it was Phil Kessel who was last. Right. And oh, it's him and, and Matthew Shane sitting around. I think that's like why now. they stopped doing it. It's like, they're like, Oh, like, you know, we don't want people to feel bad if they're the last pick. And it's like, Okay, you're the last pick of like the 40 best hockey players in the world. Like, you know, I think you'll be okay. Like, I mean, that would be one thing. Like, I, I think that'd be a perfectly solid change. Like, at least that's more in- entertaining than some of the stuff that happened during the skills competition. It becomes a reality know? show at that point. <laughs> yeah. Like, I know the, the NBA still has the draft and seems to work fine for them. I don't hear any players, you know, bitching that they're the last pick. Yeah, I would just I would just do keep it simple. I would just do what the AHL did. It was it was like a, a nice all star competition. They kept it simple, um, and I would just I would get rid of the three on three stuff. I would just do two teams five on five or whatever. Um, it's the all star weekend is it's not what it once was. I don't think it's going to be. So I'm gonna stop trying to make fetch happen, Gretchen. Um, playoff format. Gary Bettman said basically the league doesn't look like they're gonna change it anytime soon. The one one three and there's a lot of moving parts. Um, that people aren't really too privy of. I guess it, it's just not the latest uh, example of being um, talking down to their uh, their fan base. It's like yeah, it's not that complicated. We get it. There's a wild card structure. Just whatever. Um, Sidney Crosby came out and talked about it too. Look, if 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 you're not talking about the Atlantic, which seems to have been an absolute downfall for like this playoff format the last five years, if it's just a traditional division, which most of them are, where there's good parity. I don't really see an issue with this playoff format. I just think in, in the Atlantic, we're so close to that, that Tampa and Toronto and Boston have always kind of gotten screwed. But, like, I don't know. I mean, I, I have no issue with the current format because it's gotten different matchups except for the Atlantic for the most part. But I also want to – I wouldn't care going back to 1 through 8 either. What do you guys think? I'm all about going back to 1 through 8. I, I hate this format, and I have since it started. And not just not just because the, the Atlantic division has been stacked or – um, but what I really hate is I hate having a playoff matchup locked in for the final, like three, four months of the regular season, which, you know, that's not even just because the Atlantic division is awesome, but we've seen that happen a bunch of times now in the Atlantic, whether it was Bruins Leafs or now last year and this year, it's lightning Leafs. Like I, I hate that. Like I want, I want everyone to be going into like the final couple weeks kind of jockeying for position and, you know, potentially facing different teams. The other issue that has popped up a couple of times and, um, you know, the Bruins actually kind of like benefited from this once is, was it, what year did they face the Senators? Was that 2017? Yeah. Um, in, in the first round. And they both had, they had the two worst records in the conference of the teams that made the playoffs. So the number one overall seed was getting a tougher matchup than what would have been like the number six or seven seed 
in a one through eight format, which also shouldn't happen. That's happened a couple times at West where the Pacific division has had some down years and whoever's been the number one seed has had a tougher matchup than like the second team in the Pacific. And it's like, I just don't like it. Like I, I get, you know, trying to save on travel, trying, trying to build rivalries or whatever, but um, I just like a much fairer bracket, which I think one through eight is. I agree. Um, I, I, I agree. I used to watch more hockey because of it actually, because like you're wondering, okay, what well, I got to watch, you know, whatever team, whatever two teams the Bruins might end up against, watch all their games, see who's winning, see how, when it changes, what's going on. I feel like I used to back. I think this, I forget what year they changed over this format, but back when I was in college, it was the one through eight. And I was always just flipping through my, my hockey broadcast in my dorm, just watching pretty much any uh, hockey game that would have affected where the Bruins were in the standings. Yeah, actually, now that you guys mentioned it, I do prefer the one through eight, actually, for those reasons. Um, keeps keeps you guessing uh, the entire regular season for the most part. So um, no no, no arguments here. You guys have anything else you wanted to go over? I don't think so. We finally get a Bruins hockey back on Saturday. So, um, you know, long week and a half break. I've, I've enjoyed having a little downtime, but yeah, starting to get that. It's weird what what you know. I mentioned this to you guys off the air before, but it's weird seeing like so much of the rest of the league start back up and have a bunch of games. You know, beginning Monday night, and now it's still like uh, still wait until the end of the week for the Bruins to come back. But Saturday, three o'clock against Washington. Yep, Bridget, you all set? I'm good. Very good. Yeah. So as as Scott said, three thirty Saturday, Bruins are back in action against the Capitals. Uh, until then, um. Well, actually, that'll be before then. And then, obviously, Sunday is the uh, the Super Bowl, so enjoy that. And we will talk to you guys soon. Thanks for listening.